0: Key Out of Time by Andre Norton Chapter 16 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R.J. Davis Key Out of Time by Andre Norton Chapter 16 The Opening of the Great Door it was not the general airlessness of the long closed passage which wore on Ross's nerves. Made Carrera suddenly reach out and clasp fingers about the wrists of the two men she walked between. It was a crushing sensation of age, of a toll of years so long, so heavy, as to make time itself into a turgid flood which tugged at their bodies, mired their feet as they trudged after the poena. This sense of age, of a dead and heavy past, was so stifling that all three Terrans breathed in gasps. Carrera's breast became sobs, yet she matched her pace to Ace and Ross, kept going. Ross himself had little idea of their surroundings, but one small portion of his brain asked answerless questions. The foremost being, why did the past crush in on him here? He had traveled time, but never before had he been beaten with the feel of countless dead and dying years. Going back, that coarse whisper came from Ash, and Ross thought he understood. A time gate? He was eager to accept such an explanation. Time gates he could understand, but that the Poana used one. Not our kind, Ash replied but his words had pulled Ross out of a spell which had been as quicksand about him, and he began to fight back with a determination not to be sucked into what filled this place. In spite of Ross's efforts, his eyes could supply him with no definite impression of where they were. The ramp had led them out of the sea, but where they walked now, linked hand to hand, Ross could not say. He could see the glimmer of the fulana Turning his head, he could see his companions as shadows. But all beyond that was utter dark. Ah, Karawaz Sobs gave way to a whisper which was half moan. This is a way of gods, old gods, gods who never dealt with men. It is not well to walk the road of the gods. Her fear lapped to Ross. He faced that emotion as he had faced so many different kinds of fear all his life. Sure, he felt that pressure on him. Not the pressure of past centuries now, but a power beyond his ability to describe. Not our gods. Ross put his stubborn defiance into words, more as a shield against his own wavering. No power where there is no belief. From what happened? "'forgotten bit of reading had he dredged that knowledge. "'No being without belief,' he repeated. "'To his vast amazement he heard a laugh, "'though the sound bordered on hysteria. "'No belief, no power,' the older man replied. "'You speared the right feast, Ross. "'No gods of ours dwell here, Kerwa, "'and whatever God does has no rights over us. "'Hold to that girl, hold tight.' Ah, ye forty thousand gods, ye gods of sea, of sky, of woods, of mountains, of valleys, ye assemblies of gods, ye elder brothers of the gods that are, ye gods that once were, ye that whisper, ye that watch by night, ye that show your gleaming eyes, come down, awake, stir, walk this road, walk this road. She was singing, first softly and then more strongly. The liquid words of her own tongue repeated in English, as if what she strove to call she would share with her companions. Now there was triumph in her singing, and Ross found himself echoing her. Walk this road as a demand. It was still there, all of it, the crushing weight of the past, and that which rooted within that past, which had reached out for them to possess or to alter. Only they were free of that reaching now, and they could see, too. The fuzzy darkness was lighter, and there were normal walls about them. Ross put out his free hand and rubbed fingertips along rough stone. Once more, their senses were assaulted by a stealthy attack from beyond. The bounds of space and time, as the walls fell away and they came out into a wide space whose boundaries they could not see. Here, that which brooded was strong, a mighty weight poised aloft to strike them down. Come down, awake, stir. Kerwa's pleading sank again to a whisper. Her voice sounded hoarse, as if her mouth were dry. Her words, formed by a shrunken tongue, issued from a parched throat. Light spreading in channels along the floor, making a fiery pattern. Patterns within patterns intricate designs within designs. Ross jerked his eyes away from those patterns. To study them was danger. He knew without being warned. Carrawa's nails bit into his flesh, and he welcomed that pain. It kept him alert, conscious of what was Ross Murdoch, holding him safely apart from something greater than he, but entirely alien. The designs and patterns were lines on a pavement and now the three phoana, swaying as if yielding to unseen winds, began to follow those patterns with small dancing steps. But the Terrans remained where they were, holding to one another for the sustaining strength their contact offered. Back, forth, the phoana danced, and once more their cloaks vanished, or were discarded. So their silver-bright figures advanced, retreated, weaving away from one arabscue to another first about the outer rim and then in, by spirals and circles. No light except the chrism-glowing rivulets on the floor. The silver bodies of the Poena moved back and forth, in and out. Then suddenly the three dancers halted, huddled together in an open space between the designs. And Ross was startled by the impression of confusion, doubt, almost despair, wafting from them to the terrace. Back across the patterned floor they came, their hands clasped even as the Terrans stood together, and now they fronted the three out of time. Too few. We are too few. She who was the mid-one of the trio said, We cannot open the great door. How many do you need? Carrawa's voice was no longer parched, frightened. She might have traveled through fear to a new serenity. Why did he think that? Ross wondered pleasingly. Was it because he too had had the same release? The Polynesian girl loosed her grip on her companion's hands, taking a step closer to the Joanna. Three can be four. Or five, Ash moved up beside her, if we suit your purpose. Was Gordon Ash crazy? Or had he fallen victim to whatever filled this place? Yet it was Ash's voice, saying, serene, as Ross had always heard it. The younger agent wet his lips. It was his turn to have a dry mouth. This was not his game. It could not be. Yet he summoned voice enough to add in turn. 6. When it came, the Fawana answer was a warning. To aid us, you must cast aside your shields. Allow your identities to become one with our forces. Having done so... It may be that you shall never be as you are now, but changed. Changed? The word echoed, perhaps not in the place where they stood, but in Ross's head. This was a risk such as he had never taken before. His chances in the past had been matters of action, where his own strength and wits were masked against the problem. Here, he would open a door to forces he and his kind should not meet. Exposing himself to dangers such as did not exist on the plain where weapons and strength of arm could decide victory or defeat. And this was not really his fight at all. What did it matter to Terrans 10,000 years or so in the future? What happened to the Vakakians in this past? He was a fool. They were all fools to become embroiled in this, the Baldies and their stellar empire. If that ever had existed as the Terrans surmised, "'was long gone before his breed entered space. "'If you accomplish this with our aid,' said Ash, "'will you be able to defeat the invaders?' "'Again a lengthening moment of silence "'before the Poanna replied. "'We cannot tell. "'We only know that there is a force laid up here, "'set behind certain gates in the far past "'upon which we may call for some supreme effort.' But this much we also know. The evil of the shadow reaches out from here now. And where that darkness falls, men will no longer be men, but things in the guise of men who obey and follow as mindless creatures. As yet this shadow of the shadow is a small one. But it will spread, for that is the nature of those who have spawned it. They have chanced upon it and corrupted a thing we know. Such power feeds upon the will to power. Having turned it to their bidding, they will not be able to resist using it, for it is so easy to do, and results exalt the nature of those who employ it. You have said that you and those like you, who travel the time trails, fear to change the past. Here the first steps have been taken to alter the future. But unless we complete the defense, It will be ill for all of us. And this is your only weapon? Ash asked once more. The only one strong enough to stand against that which is now unleashed. In the pavement, the fiery lines were bright and glowing. Even when Ross shut his eyes, parts of those designs were still visible against his eyelids. We don't know how. He made a last feeble protest on the side of prudence, We couldn't move as you did. Apart, no. Together, yes. The silvery figures were once more swaying, the mist which was their hair flowing about them. Carrawa's hands went out, and the slender fingers of one of the foanna lifted, closed about firm, brown, tearing flesh. Ash was doing the same. Ross thought he cried out, but he could not be sure. As he watched Kerouac's head begin to sway in concert with her Fawana partner, her black hair springing out from her shoulders to rival the rippling strands of the aliens. Ash was consciously matching steps with the companion, who also drew him along a flowing line of fire. In this last instant, Ross realized the time for retreat was past. There was no place left to go. His hands went out though he had to force that invitation because in him there was a shrinking horror of the surrender. But he could not let the others go without him. The phoana's touch was cool, and yet it seemed that flesh met his flesh, fingers as normal as his met fingers in that grasp. And when that hold was complete, he gave a small gasp, for his horror was wiped away. He knew in his place a burst of energy— which could be disciplined to use as a weapon or a tool in concentrated and complicated action. His feet so, and then so. Did those directions flow without words from the Phoanus' fingers to his, and then along his nerves to his brain? He only knew which was the proper next step, and the next, and the next, as they wove their way along the patterned lines with their going adding a necessary thread to a design. Forward four steps, backward one. In and out. Did Ross actually hear that sweet thrumming, akin to the lilting speech of the phoana, or was it a throbbing in his blood? In and out. What had become of the others he did not know. He was aware only of his own path, of the hand in his, of the silvery shape at his side, to whom he was now tied as if one of the rover capture nets enclosed them both. The fiery lines under his feet were smoking, tendrils rising and twisting as a hair of the phoana rippled and twisted. And the smoke clung, wreathed his body. They moved in a cocoon of smoke, thicker and thicker, until Ross could not even see the phoana who accompanied him was only assured of her presence by the hand which grasped his. And a small part of him clung desperately to the awareness of that clasp as an anchorage against what might come, a tie between the world of reality and the place to do which he was passing. How did one find words to describe this? Ross wondered, with that part of him which remained stubbornly, Ross Murdoch, Terran time agent. He thought he did not see with his eyes, hear with his ears, but used other senses his own kind did not recognize or acknowledge. Space, not a room. A cave, anything, made by normal nature. Space which held something. Pure energy. His Terran mind strove to give name to that which was nameless. Perhaps it was that spark of memory and consciousness "'which gave him that instant of seeing. "'Was it a throne, and on it a simmering figure? "'He was regarded intently, measured, and set aside. "'There were questions or a question he could not hear, "'and perhaps an answer he would never be able to understand. "'Or had any of this happened at all? "'Ross crouched on a cold floor, "'his head hanging, drained of energy.' of all that feeling of power and well-being he had had when they had begun their dance across the symbols. About him, those designs still glowed dully. When he looked at them too intently, his head ached. He could almost understand, but the struggle was so exhausting he winced at the effort. Gordon? There was no clasp on his hand. He was alone, alone between two glowing Arab scus. That loneliness struck at him with the sharpness of a blow. His head came up frantically. He stared about him in search of his companions. Gordon, his plea and demand in one was answered. Ross? On his hands and knees, Ross used the rags of his strength to crawl in that direction, stopping now and then to shade his eyes with his hands, to peer through the cracks between his fingers for some sight of ash. There he was, said quietly, his head up as if he were listening or striving to listen. His cheeks were sunken. He had the drained, worn look of a man strained to the limit of physical energy. Yet there was a quiet peace in his face. Ross crawled on, put out a hand to Ash's arm, as if only by touching the other could he be sure he was not an illusion and Ash's fingers came up to cover the younger man's in a grasp as tight as a phoana's hold had been. We did it. Together we did it, Ash said. But where? Why? These questions were not even at him, Ross knew, but at the moment the younger man did not care where they had been, what they had done. It was enough that his terrible loneliness was gone, that Ash was here. Still keeping his hold on Ross, Ash turned his head and called into the wilderness of the symbol glowing space about them. Karawa! She came to them, not crawling, not wrung, almost dry as spirit and strength, but on her two feet. About her shoulders her dark hair waved and spun. Or was it dark now? Along those strands there seemed to be threaded motes of light, giving a silvery sheen which was a faint echo of the phoana's tresses. And was it only his bemused and bewildered sight? Ross mused, or was her skin fairer? Kerwa smiled down at them and held out her hands, offering one to each. When they took them, Ross knew again that surge of energy he had felt when he had followed the phoana into the maze dance. Come, there is much to do. "'She could not be mistaken. "'Her voice held the singing lilt of the falana. "'Somehow she had crossed some barrier "'to become a paler, perhaps a lesser, "'but still a copy of the three aliens. "'Was this what they had meant "'when they warned of a change "'which might come to those who followed them "'into the ritual of this place? "'Ross looked after the girl to ash "'with searching intensity. "'No, he could not see no outward change in Gordon.' and he felt none within himself. Come! Some of was old impetuousness returned as she tugged at them, urging them to their feet and drawing them with her. She appeared to know where they must go, and both men followed her guidance. Once more they came out of the weird and alien into the normal, for here were the rock walls of a passage running up at an angle which became so steep they were forced to pull along by handholds hollowed in the walls. Where are we going? I asked. To cleanse. Kerwa's answer was ambiguous, and she sped along, hardly touching the handholds, but hurried. They finished their climb and were in another corridor, where patches of sunlight came through a pierced wall to dazzle their eyes. This was similar to the way which had run beside the courtyard in Zahir's castle. Ross looked out of the first opening down into a courtyard. But where Zahir's had held the busy life of the castle, this was silent. Silent, but not deserted. There were men below, armed, helmed. He recognized the uniform of the wrecker warriors. Saw one or two who wore the gray of the Fuana servants. They stood in lines, unmoving, without speech among themselves, men who might have been frozen into immobility and arranged so for some game in which they were the voiceless, willless pieces. And their immobility was a thing to arouse fear. Were they dead and still standing? Come, Carrawa's voice had sunk to a whisper, and her hand pulled at the men. What? began Ross. Ash shook his head those rows below drawn up as if in order to march, unliving rows. They could not be alive as the Terran's new life. Ross left his vantage point, ready to follow Carawal, but he could not blot from his mind the picture of those lines, nor forget the terrible blankness which made their faces more unhuman, more frighteningly alien than those of the falina. This concludes the reading of chapter sixteen.